Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I would direct your attention to Center Ring, where we will be looking today at Biblia Scola, at what does it mean to be a mature Christian? What does that mean? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what a study we have for you. We are going to start with Hebrews chapter 5 into chapter 6, and we're going to bridge there into other passages that talk about what does maturity mean? Oh, it's a great topic. It's a great event. Feast your eyes on Center Ring, because this is what we're going to be talking about today. So, are you in for a treat today? Matt and I realized we really have some strong opinions about theology and how to build a Christian and several other things. And so what we decided to do, and, you know, we both brought different points to each other on different things. And it was a long conversation that I'm glad we didn't have on the air. So we have decided to look at scripture, which I think we're both going to, what we're going to do today is we're going to try to answer a question. Now, if you remember what Matt has been trying to talk about, I think this is good, is internal problems in a church. And one thing Matt really feels burdened about is, are we really teaching people about God as a church ministry? And, and, and what are we teaching them? And is this contributing to some of the apostasy we're seeing right now? And should, you know, I mean, so what we're going to do is we've decided uh, we're just going to dive into a portion of the word that deals with maturing people. And one of the premier talk, I have Matt read it for us, is... Uh, we both we, we we both listed several passages we could talk about. I mean, James, Matt brought up James, and James is an excellent passage for that. We've decided to go with Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, uh, chapter 11. <laughs> yeah, Matt's probably surprised by that. Chapter 5, 11 through 14, 6, 1, and 2, and maybe even 3. I'll let Matt decide how far to go into 6. But Matt's going to read that for us, and we're going to talk about that right now. Yeah, um... So uh, join me as I read the word starting in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and down right past to, yeah, we'll go down to verse 3. Uh, as always, I'm going to be uh, in the English Standard Version, but I do invite you guys that are, are listening to us. You, you can, of course, listen to us as we read the word, but it'd be profitable to always open up your Bible or if you prefer a Bible app to do that, to read along with us. Uh, but please join me as I read. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about wa washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permits. The word of the Lord. 
Amen. So let's back up into that passage. Uh, so Matt, let's just go verse by verse. So let's talk about verse 11 first, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. Well, we probably ought to read 12 too. It kind of goes hand in hand. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need one teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God, and are become as such a need of milk and not strong meat. You know, even reading this right now, and I, I know we've already dealt with this passage, and I, I know I'm getting a hobby horse here, but it does remind me of Corinthians 3, what we were already in before. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just pulling that back up for a second here myself, just to look at it. Um, yeah, where he says the same thing in 2, and he says, because you're carnal. Uh, now, it, I would say Hebrews seems to be, they're not deepening in their faith. So he doesn't really seem to mention carnality in Hebrews. Unless, do you think I've missed that or doesn't seem no, to no, mention carnality I, I think, there? Um, can, can we stop real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. And, 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 and so for our, our listeners, um, I think one thing to re really let, – let's have a real quick background on the epistle of Hebrews, if you oh, don't mind. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Corinthian, the, the Church of Corinth had its problems, but I think that was a primarily – a Gentile church, i.e. that the believers of that church had come from uh, a Roman, Greek uh, type Corinth background. Whereas I think the believers in the uh, book of Hebrews really come from a Jewish background. Um, and, and so uh, I think one of the things that the writer of Hebrews uh, is going to go throughout all of this and why Perhaps he, he's dealing in part with with talking about uh, you guys need milk and solid food and all of that is uh, they had um, a whole lot of the they had a whole lot of training and, and cultural background as Jews of what the Old Testament was and now are, are looking and, and they've accepted Christ. But they're also trying to figure out what does that mean? What? you know, as they face persecution and whatnot, would it be better to go back to what we had to what we had before? And the writer is saying no, because Christ is better. And he has a whole list of things in some passages of what Christ is better than that. Um, he's talking about better than the laws, what he's to write Judaism, right? Right, 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 right. right. And, and, and by the way, that's one thing that you have to understand, um, you know, they were really dealing with in uh, in First Timothy chapter one. I, I did mention this to Matt, but one of the verses says desiring. And I, again, I'm quoting this. It may not be word for word. OK, desiring to be teachers of the law. Some of these false teachers understanding neither what they say nor what they affirm. So you have people that so badly want to teach the law of God. They're talking about the Old Testament, which is fine. But unfortunately, these people do not have any wisdom, and mm -hmm. it's because they—it's because they—they they primarily believe in a, a work salvation is their problem. They're hung up on that, yeah. and they're not even saved. This is their problem, and that—that's why Paul, I think, next goes into salvation itself. Uh, he starts out with really horrible sins and ends up with the sin of lying on the spectrum of murdering your mom and dad versus lying. You know, and and that all sins need to be under God's grace and blood and to go to heaven. Anyway, so. Yeah, you know, I would say Corinth was a very cosmopolitan church, and even probably Jewish people living in Corinth had to be influenced right. by that culture, I, I'd have to imagine. Yeah. Um, 
I would think you would very much describe them um, as, as Hellenistic, culturally Jews. Um, and, yeah, and, and I, I Hellenism, think that'd be fair. Yeah. That'd be fair. Um, and, and for our reader or listeners, Hellenism is just the idea of someone in, uh, of influenced by the Greek culture, language, and, and philosophies. Now, real quick, you know what's interesting? <laughs> in 1 Peter 2... We have once again the milk that they can grow thereby. So first Peter two, chapter two, one, two, and three, it says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so that you have tasted the Lord is gracious. And it goes on to talk about Christ. I wonder if there are three different things. If you want to leave milk and grow on in maturity, maybe there's three different areas you need to be careful of. One would be carnality. Uh, you know, and even in the parable of the sower, uh, without getting too much into that, he talked about the weeds and the cares of this life choking out uh, the, you know, the plants and becoming unfruitful or not even be profitable. So I wonder if carnality is a great way. So you're talking about theology. You're all upset about theology, but really you're carnal. You're not really seeking Christ. And so that was, it seemed to be Corinth's problem. Like you say, we got Jewish people, uh, pro, I mean, Hebrews, you know, the very name. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Paul doesn't seem to bring up carnality. Uh, he seems to bring up actual teaching. And he literally, if you look in 6.1, uh, he's talking about actual doctrine, teachings of the Bible. And he says, man, if you want to grow, you got to go past this elementary stuff. You got to, you got to move past this. And maybe, you know, so maybe that's a good, uh, I want to get more into that a little bit later. But, and then in First Peter 2, I wonder if sin is the last part of that equation. In other words, you can have a Christian yeah. trying to be good and godly, but it's very carnal, very wrapped up in the things of this world. So they're not sinning a lot, but they're, they're driven by, by primarily, uh, I don't know, uh, being the head of the Kiwanis Club or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're not really driven by Christ. Then you have a group of believers in Hebrews that seem to be very wrapped up in very basic theology. And they're not really going beyond that. And Paul is like, wow, you're not really maturing in Christ. And because of that, you're not very discerning. Uh, you're, you're very, and, and then we can talk more about what that means. I'm sure you, you know, but yeah. in chapter two here, I would say this is the last thing is that if you are clearly sinning, like guile, malice, hypocrisies, envy, evil speakings, these are all basics in God's word. If you take God's word and look at your life, you should realize these things are wrong. Uh, motivations of the heart. You should realize, get convicted, man, I'm being a hypocrite. Or man, I think I'm just every envying Jim. I think that's why I don't like him as a pastor or whatever. I'm just envying him. I'm not really, he's not really doing anything wrong. I just envy him, you know, or guile is, boy, I really want this program in the church. How am I going to sell it to people so they buy into it? That's the wrong attitude. I've even heard of people say, you know, I, the longer I'm in the ministry, you know, there's a secular way you can go about things and there's a godly way you can go about things. And there's a real secular wisdom to getting people on your side. But I think we as Christians need to approach it in a godly way. And then malice is hatred. I really hate that guy. You know, so I, I, I think one is sin motivations. One is carnality. And one is a lack of maturity. You know, it's interesting. All three, though, uh, they're, they're stymied in their growth because of this problem. And I, I guess looking at these three passages, I would say Hebrews, it, it seems to be that they're not deepening in their, their teaching or doctrine, which I think is 
was your point earlier in our discussion before we talked to these yeah. people. Um, I mean, am now, I right I about that? Thing, or am I wrong? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I, I think one thing to point out with all three of these passages, though, is that uh, Peter, the writer of Hebrews, and Paul are all pointing to the fact that one aspect of the Christian faith is supposed to be growth. Um, now, there, there are, as you said, various things that, that stall that. And I think it's also important to realize that at the end of the day, uh, it's us, ourselves. We, we can complain all we want, maybe that our, our pastor isn't teaching us this or that, but um, it, it is on us to be the ones that want to get deeper into the word of God. It is on us uh, to, to strive for um, not the, the, the things of the world, but, but the things of the Lord. Um, and so I think um, one of the things, no matter how we land on whatever, is that if we're not growing uh, individually uh, to be more and more like the men and women that God want us to be, more and more like Christ, that right there points to an issue. And I'm not saying that we're perfect, right? Because we all fail. We're, we're all going to mess up here or there. But if if you're like the people in these passages and you've been in the faith for 20 years and, and you look um, back and you say, well, I haven't changed much. There should be a little bit of concern there. Well, I wonder if they don't even realize though. I, I wonder if, yeah. but let me back up one second. I, and I totally agree with everything you just said. So don't take this as me disagreeing with you, but we talked earlier about, about balance. What Matt is also not saying, and I know Matt's very passionate about this, and what are you saying? The other side of the coin is, I know Matt's very passionate about pastors maturing people. And, and I know he believes that. So again, this isn't an attack on Matt. You know, when I got convicted about this earlier in my ministry, I felt like my preaching was under attack. And I took what Matt just said, which is true. We should be striving to know Christ. And I don't think, I don't care if you're the best preacher in the world. If you have no desire to get to know Christ better, I'm not sure what we're going to do for you. But my point is, and I, I kind of like Matt said, I kind of threw that doctrine back. Well, you can't expect me an hour a week to really make that big of a difference in your spiritual life. Well, you know what I got convicted though? I read in John. I know some people think this shouldn't maybe be in the Bible or whatever, but I think it should. I read in John 21, how Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And I noticed in the Bible, that's what a shepherd does, you know? And so that, Yes, you need to be motivated. Matt's absolutely right. I know he's burned about this too, but pastors, we do need to feed people. And yeah. if, you know, people might say we're not feeding them for a variety of reasons that may or may not be true, but we better make sure before God that we are doing our job. We had better make sure before the Lord we're doing that because mm -hmm. that is our job. Now, Jesus is the head shepherd. I'm not, I'm not trying to deny that, but we are to feed the sheep. We're to feed the flock of God. And if we fail, there are going to be drastic consequences for that. There really will be. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things to realize in this passage is Paul's talking to a group of people that um, he says you ought to be teachers by this point. Yeah, he's defending um, the power of the Holy Spirit. He is making a definitive statement. He's not saying, I think, yeah. I think you should be. He says you should be. There's a difference, you know. Yeah, he's being very declared. Mm -hmm. You should be. And you're not. 
Yeah. And you know, I want to talk about maturity for just a second. I don't know how yeah. you feel about this passage, but first John two, uh, 12 through 14, if we're going to talk about growing in the Lord. I think the three phases of growth are here in this passage. And it's my opinion. And there's a lot of ink spilled in this and Matt, I'm not sure how you feel about it. So I guess I'm about to find out. But in 1 John 2, 12 and on, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I have always held little children, you're saved and you're excited about God. Just like a little kid, you may not be contributing much uh, mm -hmm. to, the, to the church, but your enthusiasm for God is blessing people around you. And you're so happy to be saved. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you've known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong. And watch this, the word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. Now, I know people just read that and they think, what is this all about? Some people do massive word studies on this. I really think that this passage should be approached at face value. I don't think it's very complicated. You're newly saved. You love the Lord. You don't know a lot about God at this point in your life, but you do know your sins are forgiven and you just love the Lord. That is fantastic. I know a lot of ink's been spilled on fathers, but I want to be honest with you. A father is a father because they have kids. <laughs> That's what a father is. So I think fathers are Christians who have gone past merely uh, resisting the devil, but these are people trying to multiply, trying to grow, trying to win disciples for Christ. And I, again, I think that um, some of that, some people may not. I, in other words, if you're a person in church and this is your passion and you have the gift of helps. And so you were always there uh, making sure things are always ready for VBS. And, and it's because you want kids to be saved. I, I think that would qualify as a father. You have an intense desire for children to be brought into this world. And you are working actively toward that end. You may not be the one that finally gets the harvest, but you are someone making that harvest happen. Um and then the young men, notice they, they're mature. They're strong. They're the opposite of the people in Hebrews. They sense good and evil. They're able to resist the machinations of the devil. And I, I really think that today, this is what we want believers to get to, at least this point, to where they're not yeah. going to be so easily fooled by the world. The world comes along and gives, well, you know, psychologists teach this. Well, fine. That doesn't mean that may get wrong or right. But what does the Bible say? If it contradicts the Bible clearly, then you're going to have to go with the Bible. You're going to have to say, well, then I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Well, all, 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 the, all the smart people think that's true. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't really care, you know. So anyway, um, so I, I think anyway, so I think would it be fair, Matt, that we're, we're dealing with the little children phase here in Hebrews? These people have been saved for a long time, but they're like in elementary school. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you, you get that because not only um, Paul, Paul says, um, I have to teach you again the basic principles. You need milk, not solid food. Uh, he, he says in the beginning of verse of chapter six, uh, let us leave the elementary things. I think they're in the stage of little children, but he's trying to push them past that to um, uh, further maturity to, uh, as John says in that passage you read, you know, the young men, the young adult phase, uh, phase of things. Yeah, and since you brought it up, let's look at what these elementary doctrines are. Um, 
And, and I say this because I think I want to be very careful here because Matt and I are very concerned. We don't attack good, godly Christians signed to serve Christ. Okay. We don't want to be, look, their master is Jesus. We're only looking at the word here, but I do think there is something. So Matt's burden, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag here. If I didn't already stress this, I think I have, but let me be more clear. Matt's burden is that we as pastors and Bible teachers are mentoring people in doctrine and theology. Now, Matt and I had quite the discussion on that, but I would not disagree with Matt that there is the ramifications of doctrine and that we do need to be growing people. And the interesting thing here is that there is such a thing as your church, according to this passage. Now, look, don't get mad at me. I'm just looking at this passage in the Bible and saying, okay, so if your church primarily teaches on soteriology all the time, again, I'm not trying to be mean. So these are good. Look, look what it's saying here. Uh, repentance of from dead works. What is that talking about? Well, it's talking about, I can't work my way to heaven. Now that seems very obvious if you're a Christian, but if you think about many false religions in this world, they really struggle with that, okay? Of faith toward God. Again, how do we get saved? We have faith in Jesus, right? I'm not getting to heaven because I'm a good person. I've trusted what Christ's done. Now that's an important doctrine. We should definitely teach that doctrine, but that best not be all we're teaching. And then doctrines of baptism. What is baptism ultimately? I don't think we're get, talking about sprinkling or dunking here. I think we're talking about uh, going on for Christ, you, you know, living for Jesus in front of the world. Laying of the hands, what are we talking about? We're talking about who is worthy to lead the church. I, I Matt, maybe we'll disagree with that, but who, who laying on hands, I view that as ordination. Who, who's yeah, allowed to yeah, run the church? Yeah. And, and that's important because I don't know if they voted people in in the old in the new Testament or not, but who's your church pastor? I mean, even if you're a lay person, that really does matter. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Well, we're talking about heaven and hell. That's important too, but these are considered elementary doctrines. These are not, these are considered ABC one, two, three, two plus two is four. And the Bible is saying, if you stay in this phase, you're not, you're not going to be equipped to fight the devil. I mean, Matt, am I misreading that? I'm not trying to misread that. No, no, I, 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 I don't think you're misreading that. Um, I, you know, and, and the funny thing is, maybe funny is not the right word. The sad thing is how many of these doctrines that should be basic are in somewhat uh, attack. I, I think particularly the idea of eternal judgment. Yes, well, oh. or even the repentance of dead works. But yeah, no, you're yeah. right. Hell, yes, 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 yes. People struggle with the doctrine oh. of hell. Mm -hmm. Now, th th there's one thing that I, I often talk about in my ministry, and, and I don't know how much Adrian talks about it just because I don't know. Uh, but, but when I talk about our, our need for faith and our need to know things, I stress the idea that we really have to have down what are the core essentials of the faith. And I think what you see here in this passage really gives you a sense of what are the core essentials. Yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy so what I mean. Yo, sorry, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. No, uh, so, so what I'm saying is, so these are the things that are important, and, and we should talk about them when, when we talk about things like theology or whatnot and, and, and be really committed to them. But there are some other pieces of theology that there might be disagreement on with uh, other believers, and it doesn't mean that they're heretics. It doesn't mean that they're going to hell, but they're not the primary. They're not the important things. Of the oh, faith. I see what you're saying. They're not foundational. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, Matt. In other words, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. So if you want to know as a pastor, 
what are some elementary things? Like, in other words, we don't start kids off in kindergarten or first grade. I should be careful. coming. I, yeah, I, I don't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> what I'm saying, though, is we start kids out either if you educate people in the new way or the old way. You don't start out with trigonometry in first grade. I mean, granted, I think they're trying to do that. But you need a body of knowledge before you can intelligently – or economics is taught in 12th grade. Why is that? Well, it's assumed – you need at least some kind of foundation in history before you can even think about <laughs> understanding economics. You know, in other words, if I don't understand the yeah. history of the United States, how can I intelligently start talking about economics? I don't think that I can. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, you're right. If as churches, the, the transverse is true. So if I am, um, let's say I have a hobby horse, uh, you know, let's say that I am really into prophecy. I'm really, I think Jesus is returning at any point, any moment, which, I mean, I, hopefully, uh, well, I shouldn't even say that because not all my Christian friends believe that. But bottom line is, is that, so I get focused on teaching uh, rapture, premillennial rapture. That's my big bugaboo, and I teach that. Well, I better make sure I'm also teaching these basic principles, or my people yeah. don't have the foundation of understanding premillennial theology. If you don't understand the basics of hell and heaven, uh, who should be a pastor, uh, going on for Christ, and uh, how do you even get saved? Uh, I think you're really going to struggle with anything more advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, even you're right. Maybe today, maybe this is a great way to look at even who's in the faith and who isn't. You know, well, let's look into the prison yeah. of these foundational doctrines. Do you believe in working your way to heaven, or do you believe in faith in Christ? Do you believe you need to go on for Christ or do you think you can just, I don't know, whatever. I don't, I want to be careful what I say next. Uh, do you think that, what do you think about church leadership and what do you think about heaven and hell? You know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and one of the things to, uh, I think is kind of interesting to realize is, so, so we're talking about, you know, uh, these should be taught, they're elementary, uh, who, who is in and out of the faith. Um, this has been just something that happened historically with the church. Um, now, w w with within Baptist circles, I don't know how often we. we oh, say I know what you're going to bring up. Too. I know. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, but it used to be one of the things that would happen is when you were baptized, um, you, you went through 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 classes or whatever. But but neither here nor there because that that's a whole nother can of worms. But at at that moment of uh, baptism, one of the ideas was you could say this set of creed with the idea of this is what has been taught by the church. This is what's historic. This is what is key and crucial to the faith. And if you look at like the Apostles Creed or the Nicene Creed, it, it doesn't get into some of the other um, complicated theologies. It really focuses on um, key but uh, elementary, but, but key doctrines, you know, uh, the belief that in God, the father, that he's the creator of everything in Jesus, uh, in his, that, that he's, he's born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the spirit. I think that's very important, um, that, that he suffered, actually died, buried, uh, but he rose again, um, it talks about his judge, his coming to judge. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, as a brief aside, one thing that sometimes we, uh, in particularly Baptist churches, we we sadly I think don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. 
Um, that, that's one thing our Pentecostal brothers and, and sisters, I think, do a better job of is, is recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit, um, the, the forgiveness of sins. And, but uh, it was the idea, okay, you say this stuff, and, 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 and you're recognizing its importance in the faith, and you're also recognizing because, believe it or not, all of that stuff was attacked within the first and second and third century. And I don't know about you, Adrian, but I see a lot of that stuff within the, that creed and, and some of this other elementary things here that, that is mentioned in Hebrews that, again, is still, it's attacked again. Oh, yeah, no, no, those, um, those doctrines are under attack. In fact, I found in funeral services, so if I say, I think I brought this up on another podcast, so I'll be brief. If I say, Jesus, uh, well, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, people don't seem to be very phased by that. But if I say Jesus is the only way to have it and use some examples, uh, yeah, suddenly have everyone's attention. They, they, they realize now, I, I mean, that Christianity is exclusive in the way of how you get to heaven. It's only through Christ. Now, I don't know why that's so odd to them. But it's like, I think they kind of believe, oh, yeah, that's your way of going to heaven. I have my way. We're all good. But once I stress yeah. that, no, 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 it's only through Christ. So you're not going to heaven if you don't have Christ. Uh, that you know. So in other words, if you're a Muslim, you're not going to heaven. You should see the amount of heads that jerk up and the eyes that get big. Because now I'm being mean. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? But I said the same thing you're I right. said before. I said Christ is the only way to heaven. I'm not being mean. I'm merely telling you what the Bible says. Uh, but it's today. So people, I think people believe underlying worldly truths and they filter everything we say through those truths and to break through those truths. Sometimes right. we have to be very clear about what we are saying. Well, I think that that's part of our, our culture, at least the Western culture right now is just the idea of it's your truth versus my truth. And what is truth? Is there such a thing as concrete truth? And, and but we as Christians say, well, yes, there is, uh, because ultimately Jesus is the truth. Um, and See, I think we're going beyond that, though. I think that used to be the problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I think postmodernism has won. So I do think you're right. That is a pervasive view. But we are starting to get gatekeepers arising in culture, uh, in entertainment, especially in other places who who now have fundamentalist beliefs about secular things. Like, let me just give an example. Don't know where you, the listener are on global warming, but these people take it as absolute truth. And if you don't believe in it, you're a bad person. And my point is not whether global warming is true or not. That's not the purpose of this podcast, but they are forming viewpoints that are like, this is absolute truth. And, uh, or, uh, the Trent, Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, you know, I want to go back to something about creedalism anyway, because this podcast really, that'll open a whole new can of worms. We talk about postmodernism and secular fundamentalism. But I want to talk about, so I had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my house. And two hours in, we were talking about the differences. And they said, they, they brought up the Apostles' Creed, and they're talking about it. And I interrupted them. And I said, no, look. And I was very clear what I was saying. So I said, look. I said, I don't disagree with the Apostles' Creed. I said, I want you to understand that before I say anything else. I said, we don't actually recite that at my church. I said, but I don't disagree with it. It's not like I'm saying that we don't like it or that it's bad. They were shocked. They're like, well, you're not a Baptist church, though, which I thought was very funny. Because uh, I've never, I don't know if I've ever been a Baptist church that's literally recited the Apostles' Creed on any regular basis. 
but I, I said, no, we, we are one. So you guys are welcome to come to my church. Obviously they, they weren't interested in that, but, um, but my point is I was very clear to point out to them that I wasn't attacking the apostles creed. I just said, uh, and maybe I should have just said Northern fundamentalist Baptist. I'm actually neo-fundamentalist, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're not creedal, but it doesn't mean that I disagree with the creeds. You know, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I'm okay with the Apostles Creed. I just we don't say it, and maybe that's to our shame. I, I don't know. You know, maybe we so emphasize uh, biblical truth, and we're so afraid of any kind of secular man teaching that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. Maybe you know that it's okay that Christians use this as a just to find points of commonality with each other or basic doctrines. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think you. I mean, my my church. Uh, I, at most, maybe say it once a year around Pentecost, but even then, that that's a maybe, but it, it's more, um, you got to be careful sometimes because the Apostles' Creed at the end of the day isn't scripture. Well, yeah, no, and I agree with you. I think that's why Baptists are a little leery of it. And so I, I know yeah. what you mean. Like, we don't want to get to the point where we're stressing teachings of men Versus, but at the same point, I think you've got a good point. Okay, yeah, but in other words, I think the early church was using this to stress who was a Christian, who wasn't, and what am yeah. what am I subscribing to here? What are the core beliefs of Christianity? It was their attempt, like you say, to say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, virgin born. Um, you know, uh, I think these are the basics <laughs> of Christianity. And I, I think if you say, well, Jesus wasn't virgin born. I, I don't know. At that point, you have to ask yourself, well, are, are you even, I don't know. You know, I, in other words, like, if, and, and I've gone round and round because I, there are, I have a Christian brother who thinks that you don't have to agree with the doctrine of hell to be saved. I, I'm not so sure. In other words, okay. if you as a newly saved Christian don't understand the doctrine of hell, I get it. But if after you've studied the Bible for a while, you still don't believe in the doctrine of hell, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Are you saved? That's a really I, good question. I, yeah. you know, I don't know. And 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 or maybe are you just a very you know the, child? I don't know. You know, spiritual child. I don't know. You know. Yeah, because I I would think that when when you knock out some of these doctrines, you are right. It, it, we're not God. We we should be very careful about pronouncing this the, this judgment of thou. Yeah, aren't you're saved. not a Christian then. It, it, yeah. Um. But it, you knock out some of these things and you're really, I don't, you're going to mess up the reading of other passages. And, yeah, at the very least, um, you're an extremely immature Christian. If you are saved, yeah. you are like a newborn stage. I mean, it, it, like in other words, and I would say the very first thing, you can't be saved. If you don't believe in rejecting works to going to heaven, you're not saved. I, I don't care how much of the Bible you know. If you think works plus Jesus, you're already lost. You're done. And so I guess, you know, uh, as you look at the, you know, well, laying on hands, you know, in other words, if you misunderstand laying on hands, I would still say you're probably saved. You know, I don't know, you know, so I guess I got to be, like you say, I got to be careful, but I would say, if you don't understand these basic doctrines of heaven and hell going on for Christ, who should be in charge of a church, you probably shouldn't be teaching a Sunday school class, you know, yeah, <laughs> you really shouldn't be, you know, well, it, as a slight aside, though, um, and not really an aside, but I think ch as churches, we should be very concerned with who is teaching us. Yeah, you know, maybe that's a good point. I know Dr. Bixby used to stress just because someone is a successful businessman, 
a leader in the community does not mean they should be a leader in the church. And I, and that's not, I don't think he was against success or against someone uh, being an effective leader in the community. But in other words, what if that person is very secular and carnal in their outlook? Maybe they're really saved, but maybe they've got some really weird views. You know, uh, you know, I think as, as brothers in Christ, we have to say, brother, we love you. And yeah, you're a great, everyone in town knows you're the best hardware store guy around. You're really great. But mm-hmm. we think you need to grow a little bit more before you teach. You know, because you have some very right. odd and, ideas, and, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And and I think you, you see that in a number of places. I think James talks about that. I think Well, first John, Timothy, it says, uh, tell him not with, to teach. Yeah. Timothy, the only reason yeah. he's there still. Is it tell false teachers to shut their mouths and you can't teach in church? Yeah. I'm sure that went hard. Brother so and so is going to teach today. Yeah. No, they're not. What do you mean? No, they're not going to teach today. And by the way, I think this one thing Baptists get right. And I mean, really get right. And I say that you say, well, aren't you a Baptist? Folks, I am, but by conviction, not by birth. Okay. I, I am a Baptist by conviction, but I, I have some slight disagreements with some Baptist doctrine. But overall, I would say, yeah, Baptist, I, I'm not ashamed to be one. And I think that it's the closest to the way I look at the Bible. But one thing pastors definitely get right is they minimize the office of pastor in some ways, but they give them the power of the pulpit. And I think that's very godly. Somebody's got to be in charge of who gets to speak in church and who doesn't. Somebody's got to make that call. If that's yeah. not your pastor, who 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 gets to make that decision? <laughs> you know, right? Well, um, I mean, think think about it in, in this way: we're, we're going to not just the pulpit, but the Sunday school. Um, if you're letting anyone teach the 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 your your Sunday school in the sense of teaching kids, if you're letting anyone teach kids, those are very formative years. I think so often we, we, we look at that role as kind of a minor role, but I think it's major. Um, I think it's really major. And I think we, we need to have a more discerning eye because. No, I, I agree with you. In the, other words, the, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can't, and, and I'm convicted because earlier in my ministry, we had a new person saved, newly saved, not a member of the church. We were letting them, I forget what we were letting them do. And we had a godly member of the church uh confront me on that and i understood what she was saying and it's you know and I, but i think you're right there there does need to be concerned how mature is this person are they prepared to do this uh you know do they even understand the bible well enough to be even teaching a simple bible study and some people i don't care how enthusiastic they are about the lord if they're not well grounded and two plus two is four they probably shouldn't be teaching a first grade class then if they're confused by that or they're not really sure how to read, they probably shouldn't be teaching a first grade class because they're confused themselves. You know, <laughs> you should at least understand the basics before you teach other people. Or even um, if someone's not a runner, they've never run in their life. Why would you put them in charge of a running program? Why would you do that? If yeah. you're a track coach, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to wax eloquent, but yeah, I think you're right. We need to at least have some kind of baseline of this person's competent enough to actually do this. And, yeah. I, and I've got to admit to you. Um, and I, and I, now I, I'm not trying to open a can of worms. I had an argument with a dear sister in Christ. And I mean, this, this person is not stupid. They've had some good Bible training. They really have, but some new churches 
want to include unsafe people uh, in their community so quickly that they let them partake in different roles. And I, I don't have a problem with, I don't know, the unsafe person's coming to the church fellowship supper and they bring something along with themselves. You know, I, I, yeah. I, someone, uh, an unsafe parent really is enthusiastic about BBS and says, Hey, can I bring Snickers bars for all the kids tomorrow? I, I don't know that that's a problem to say, no, you can't, you're unsaved. You can't do that. But on the other hand, right. on the other hand, uh, I think we need to be really careful with what unsafe people do in the church. Uh, you know, uh, you know, and, yeah. Um, no. go ahead. Um, it's really interesting because I think sometimes we don't have that kind of concern, but you know, there was one point and if you guys are bored, it's a really interesting passage. And I say passage, it's a really interesting section. So that doesn't sound like I'm talking about scripture. Uh, and there's this guy by the name of Justin Martyr and he talks about how they used to do worship. And he mentions that in the second century, they got to a point in the service where the catechumens or, or the visitors and, and the Christians, you met together, you were taught the words, you sang hymns and all this stuff. But then there was a point in the service where you said to those that, that were visitors, that were outside of the church, okay, your, your time's over with, we're doing something now focused on what only believers can do. And that's when they would usually do the Lord's Supper. But um, I, I bring that up to say that, could you imagine a church doing that nowadays no it's um, actually a good point so like i'm not even sure if the way i do it's correct or not i'm being honest with you so communion we've grappled with that because mm -hmm. baptist communion is open so we've grappled with that i come from our brethren background communion is a big deal but i think there's communion service maybe open as well and so one thing we've tried to do more <laughs> is stress who should be taking in other words so we leave it up to you as the person sitting in the pews but we have tried to stress more. Hey, you need to be a Christian. You need to, in other words, we're warning you, Hey, this is the deal. You know, this is what the basis of communion are. We're not going to judge you, yeah. but you need to understand this is serious stuff. You, you know what I mean? You can get, you can get hurt. Cause mm -hmm. the Bible says people got sick and died. So, you know, we're, we're trying to stress them yeah. in the same token. We're not, I don't know. And you know, I can see why the church went to that in the second century. I'm not there but I understand that I understand right. why they did that. I get it. Now the I get it. Right. Now one of the reasons I, I bring that up though is just the idea that they 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 had such a concern for for it wasn't that they were separating the unbeliever from from having a chance to learn no, the word. No, they, they were I, there no, for I, I know what you're saying. I think you were very clear. They're just concerned about things like communion and things like that. I get it. So, but, and so to, to bring it to a modern context with letting anyone kind of participate in the ministry of the church, I, I, I get that we, we want to show them, okay, we're happy you're here, but are we showing a good amount of, uh, as I mean, what this passage talks about discernment, um, are, are we really showing, okay, because ministry is important. Matt, you still there? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, still, so, so, I I'm sorry. I, I think that maybe our biggest problem is, is that because, how do I want to put this? I want to be delicate about how I say this. I want to be careful. I think because we've been so co-opted by the world, 
And I think we really have. It's not, folks, I'm not. This is not me judging all their past. I'm the only worthy pastor. It's not that. But I just mean that if you look at society today, it pretty much contradicts pretty much everything the Bible says, by and large. It's getting to the point where if society says, I don't know, we're contradicting each other a lot. And so, ergo, the more scary thing I think is as, so if people are not spending much time in the word and they're spending a lot of time in society, they're getting ideas and doctrines that are not of God. And I think that's why they have a hard time seeing why it's so bad if this nicely dressed, nice, unsafe person can't do more because they don't really see them as that much different. <laughs> you know, they they might not see them as saved, but I don't know. I just wonder sometimes, I, I think as we grow in the Lord, we become more skeptical of what the world has to say. And it's not that we're so smart, it's just that we're more under direction of the Bible. And I think that maybe since we've right. lost a lot of the importance of the Bible in our faith and practice, I think we've lost the, in other words, so let's say I, I invite Hey, look, I, I'm a conservative. I've never tried to hide that here in the broadcast. So let's say I invite uh, Rush Limbaugh, who has clearly said he's not saved on the air before. I've heard him say it before. Now maybe he's gotten saved since then, but I have literally heard him say, I'm not a born again Christian. Please stop trying to, you know, I'm not, don't, don't, don't rebuke me. I'm not saved. I'm not like you. So let's say I had him speak in my morning service. Man, I'd pack out the church. I would, you know, we'd have, we'd have people there, people, you know, but my point is Rush isn't there to talk about the Bible. He's there to talk about politics. Do you see what I'm saying? And my point is, yeah, is we've gotten to a point. If an unsafe person thinks a lot like us, we kind of equate them with us. And I think that's a lack of, I think that means that we have a lack of discernment about the Bible at that point. We don't really understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. By the way, liberal Christians would fall in the same category. If you think it's great to have like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton come speak at your church, you have the same problem. These people, as far as I can see, aren't saved. Maybe you like some things they have to say. Great. I'm not, but they have no business preaching from the pulpit. They, they have nothing to contribute there. They don't. Same thing like Rush wouldn't have anything yeah. contributed to a, a worship service. He wouldn't, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah. he just, because he's not grounded in the word of God, nor Hillary Clinton or Obama. They're not. It has nothing to do with politics, everything to do with the Bible. All right, well, let's try to wrap this up. We're at 47. Let's try to bring it home. What are we trying to say? I, I think actually I've really liked what we've said. I really do. Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the, the big thing that we're, we're calling for is um, uh, for, for us to ultimately as individuals and, and as the church is that we need to seek maturity. Um, but we have to realize that there's a, uh, a variety of things that are a part of our growth in Christ. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So like sometimes I think Matt you're sensitive to this, but I think you have a right to be sensitive to this as I think about our discussion earlier. So some people are like, well, let's not get so wrapped up in doctrine. But yet that's exactly what Hebrews 5 and 6 is talking about. It is literally talking about doctrine. It is literally saying, "Hey, it's great that you understand how to get saved. That's fantastic. It is great you understand you're going to heaven." And there is eternal judgment. It's great. You have a basic idea of what a pastor is. 
and you have a basic idea how to live your life for Christ in a very basic way. Like I think I equate baptism with, with having an open confession of Christ and maybe understanding the basics of living for him. That's great. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot more to the Bible than those basics. And if you're stuck on just those basics, you're not going to go very far and you're not really qualified to teach. Um, You know, as pastors, we need to go beyond some of these basic doctrines. But I think too, like you say, it's more than that in Corinth. Uh, their problem, their, their problem was they were overemphasizing doctrine, but they were carnal. <laughs> and Paul's like, "Here's your problem. Yeah, I can tell you're carnal because you're flipping out about things that don't really matter, and you're actually overemphasizing doctrines that God never intended. Like if you really think about it, Jesus, Paul, and Peter really aren't contradicting each other, and yet you're factionalizing over these. In other words, you're seeing things that aren't even there." Yeah. Where you're overemphasizing differences in Peter and Paul's ministry that are really unimportant. They're not really that important to be emphasizing. Um, and in Peter, we have right. a basic, what are your internal heart motivations? Malice, those other sins, those are all internal envy. Those are all internal heart attitudes. Is your heart right with God? Because if it's not, you're going to have issues maturing in Christ. You're going to have issues with that. And so I wonder if, Becoming mature means studying the Bible and putting it into practice in my life. I wonder if it's really kind of that simple. Studying the Bible. I I think it really is. You know, and and so when some people are like, well, we need to be passionate about Christ. Yes, we do. But that doesn't negate doctrine. And and I think that's what in some ways we were arguing earlier. And now I see as we've looked at the Bible. Sure. You need to have passion for Christ. And doctrine doesn't negate passion for Christ. But you need both. You need passion for Christ and you need doctrine. Yeah. You can't throw out one without the other, <laughs> you know. And then also, right. I think you need to have passion for Christ. You need to have doctrine. But you also need to realize, what are my heart motivations? You need to be introspective. What are my motivations? Is mm-hmm. Am I attacking Matt Turbos because I feel he's wrong about the Bible? Or am I envious? Or am I carnal? Is that why I'm actually attacking him? Is it nothing to do with what Matt's teaching? Uh, is it because I don't like maybe Matt's theology book becomes the number one theology book in the United States and suddenly becomes a man. And suddenly I'm like, well, you know, that Matt Turbos guy, I don't really agree with him in a lot of areas. Well, am I saying that because I don't agree with you, Matt? Or am I saying that because now I'm envious because now you're the number one, you know, Bible teacher in the United States. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, hey, Matt's not all you think he is. Well, why am I saying that? Uh, probably because of an internal heart attitude, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, boy, a lot to think about. I've got a lot to think about here. Like even, so how are we? I mean, I guess we have an Awana program. And I wonder if some parents don't see Uh that as that valuable, but I wonder if we're not teaching them how people need to be grounded in basic principles. And that's what makes Awana valuable. It grounds people in basic principles. Yeah. Uh, You know, and if you're not using Awana, that's fine. That's not all that matters. But how are you grounding your children and in, in adults in basic principle? What are you doing? You know, if you're not doing anything, you're probably yeah. not grounding them in basic principles. <laughs> then it's probably not happening. I know. I, like I said, yeah. I got a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, now, for for anyone that that feels like reading and have some fun, I would uh, suggest looking up Charles Spurgeon's uh, Catechism mm-hmm. for Kids. Um, it, it, it's a real basic catechism. I mean, it was for kids, but it's got some 
you know, it goes through a list of, I think it's less than a hundred questions uh, and gives basic answers with scriptural proofs. It was meant for, for children um, and for giving right, a giving basic a idea of knowledge. What's the Christian faith teach? Awana kind of does the same thing. Uh, and by the way, folks, if you use Word of Life, if you use Patch the Pirate, that's awesome. This isn't like, so you need to use Awana. We actually use Word of Life clubs in our church too. We don't happen to use Word of Life with our elementary age because we were already doing Awana. It wasn't like we were like, oh, Word of Life stinks. It was more just, well, we're already doing this. So why why change it? But my point is, if you look at Awana, I don't know if Awana will tell you they're kind of, you know, but if you look at it, they'll give you a, a, a one sentence statement and give you a Bible verse behind it, which is kind of like catechism. <laughs> That's kind of like what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, so I think the churches need to ask themselves, how are we grounding people? <clears throat> how are we doing that? And how are we maturing people? <laughs> so if your entire ministry is just about getting people saved. You may not be maturing them. And there might be something when your members say, man, I'm not growing here. Maybe you need to listen to them. Maybe instead of yelling at them, you need to think about that. Well, hmm, how are we growing people here at our church? How are we studying the Bible in a deeper extent? There's a big difference between studying John 3.16 and studying some of the deeper truths. And I'll admit to you. So some of the church growth movement maybe overemphasizes evangelism and underemphasizes growth. And maybe some more traditional churches overemphasize growth and underemphasize evangelism. You know, and I, I think we need both. I, I, I think yeah. church growth has a good point. Are we being clear to the lost? In other words, what are the lost going to get out of a, a deep study on Melchizedek? They might not get anything out of that. I, I think anytime we study the God's word, it's profitable. But I think it's good to note if we're primarily talking to unsaved people, what are we teaching them? <laughs> you know, what are we trying to teach them? Um, but again, if all we're teaching is salvation, um, maybe we are not feeding our people in some ways. Because Paul says we need to leave these teachings and go on. I don't think what he means we need to reject these teachings. But he's like, man, these are like training wheels. And if you want to do BMX bike tricks, you got to get the training wheels off. Or you're not going to be able to do a, a flip in the air and land. You know, I love watching people are awesome. And they do some pretty cool tricks on bikes. Well, at some point, the training wheels had to come off, man. You know, or, or it's not like yeah. the basics that they use those training wheels to learn. They still need to use those when they're doing tricks. They just don't need the training wheels anymore. Right. All right. Well, I think we could probably talk a lot more about this, but I, I don't know. I, I think, I think this has been good anyway. Hey, why don't you go ahead and close us up with a word of prayer? Lord, I don't know how churches decide to do that. I don't think Matt and I have tried to be the fount of all wisdom, exactly how churches should do that or what program is good and what program is bad. But Father, we have brought up uh, some things from the Bible that people need to think about. How are they growing in the faith? Are they even, do they even understand the elementary doctrines of the faith? What are those doctrines? Lord, these are things that maybe modern churches, maybe we need to be thinking more about than we already do. Uh, Father, maybe sometimes we're just doing what's always been done at our church. Maybe we need to think about what we are doing. <laughs> Does that make any sense? But Father, in closing, I do pray for believers that they would have peace too, Lord. Father, if, if in our discussion, Matt and I have brought up something their church needs to change, Lord, I pray they would do that in a godly way, in a peaceful way, Lord, and not throw the baby out in the bathwater, not go suddenly the opposite direction and throw everything out, Lord. 
But Father, I just pray people be blessed. And I pray that you would help them grow in Christ, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Biblia Scola. We hope you continue to express a desire to know more of God in His Word. Hey, look, please leave us a comment. If you have any questions or even just to encourage us, let us know that you were blessed. Our desire, though, is to educate and not to sow confusion. So please don't be afraid to ask like, hey, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, this is a production of Presbyterian Baptist Church and Ostermore Baptist Church, coincidentally, where Matt and I both pastor from. And may I just close by saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. God bless.